Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists, and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design. This episode features Sleeper Magazine's editor-at-large Guy Dietrich in conversation with Anuska Hempel, founder of Anuska Hempel Design. Hello and welcome to this Sleeper 2020 podcast. I'm Guy Dietrich, editor-at-large of Sleeper magazine. Today, we're fortunate enough to be speaking to Anuska Hempel, or Lady Weinberg, and I'd like to say, welcome Anuska, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to join you, and I'm an eater, not a sleeper. You're an eater, not a sleeper. We also have a magazine called, we also have a magazine called Supper magazine. Well, you better that get might, that, that out. Might. That's a jolly good magazine, by the way. Thank you very much. I take lots and lots, lots of good articles written in there. Thank you. Thank you. Every chef should have it. As mentioned, these Sleepers 2020 podcasts are part of the celebration of Sleepers 20th anniversary. And it's entirely appropriate that we have Anuska with us as she featured in the September 2000 issue in the first year of Sleeper. She was on the front cover, our one and only cover portrait of an individual rather than a hotel. So uh, you're unique uh, in our history, Anuska. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you with us, uh, and I have fond memories of a number of your properties, but let's start with the two in, in London, Blake's and The Hempel. Uh, the two were really like chalk and cheese. Blake's, in our article, we said, seemed to have more soft furnishings than bricks and mortar, whilst The Hempel was the ultimate in minimalism. Of The Hempel, you said, uh, you hoped that guests would be inspired by the extraordinary strength and volume of the atrium instead of things. And I think this is a really visionary statement. You'd be well ahead of the curve there back in the late 90s, sensing that experientialism was becoming stronger than materialism. These were two seminal hotels that propelled the boutique hotel movement forward. There have been several other hotel projects along the way. The Franklin, Grosvenor House Suites and La Suite West in London, Blake's in Amsterdam in 1999 and the Duxton, Singapore, said by some to encapsulate all your design ideas. More than this are residential, retail, and landscape and garden projects. Yachts, products for Louis Vuitton, even clothing. A really wide spectrum of, uh, of talents uh, uh, that you, you have. Anuska, perhaps you could add some context to how you got to where you are today for our listeners. Well, I don't think I'm anywhere, um, whatever you think, where am I today? I'm just always designing. I'm always working. I'm always thinking of the future. Where I am today is going to be the next step to where I'm going to be tomorrow. So I don't think about having gotten anywhere as such. It's just every day is the beginning of the next thing that I'm going to be doing. And the next thing that we're going to be doing is really, I think, we are going to have the most extraordinary future in 20 years. I think up and down Cromwell Road and up and down wherever we're going – all the way through, we're going to be on a drone. We are going to get out of a drone carrying maybe 10 people, 12 people. We will have a hospitality level on the second floor of our lives above the traffic where you can hop out in your wonderful world of pod. Yeah, you're in a pod actually. And you step out onto the balcony of a first floor drawing room from the old Victorian days where that one little room sticks out. That will be the entrance to your new hotel. You'll be traveling in and on a drone. A drone will take us to the future. A drone will take us higher and beyond being a drone for um, just for investigative things. And I use it obviously for um, mapping out whatever I'm doing around the world when I can't be there. I find them the most fascinating little 
creatures. And I just think they're going to become very, very much a part of our serious future life. And I, if I can think that we will have a drone above our roads and that is how we're going to travel, if I can think of it, it's going to happen. So what else would you like to know about that? Uh, we've stepped right future forward there, then, what haven't we? Uh, what do you think? What do I think? Uh, I think it's an interesting concept. If I can think of it, uh, it's going to happen. The realisation of that, I think, would be quite tricky. I think in, in some... No, new- you just have to go through a few trees and a few, few wires and bits and bobs. But do you not see the future like that, that we're travelling on different levels? We're working in different levels. We'll be experiencing everything on different levels. And even, you know, to go to sleep in a hotel bedroom, we could have the most marvellous rooms with bunk beds in it. And you could have a little lift that takes you up to the top one. Or you can borrow the second one down. Or a whole different way of seeing and being rather more minimalistic than we've inclined to be in the last couple of years and a little bit more um, slightly experimental and you will be part of that experiment of going forward and in 50 years god knows where we'll be very blade runner if i may say yeah i think so but you you do know i'm doing another blakes talking about blades i'm doing a japanese blakes in shoreditch that will be open the year after next I haven't really told anybody about yet. And that is a blade runner of all sorts. And that is Japanese. The knives are out. It's absolutely clean, clear, cut, very steely, very strong, very stroppy. And I've used knives as a um, a very important subject for me, um, is a clear cut of whatever it is you're doing. And Shoreditch is interesting. I think it might be a bit quiet at the moment. I don't think it quite knows where it's going, but we've got a year and a half to prove ourselves. And that is a vertical blade, not a horizontal Venetian blind, but the vertical blades turn in the sun and they're worked out very carefully, very carefully. And you have, you know, your blade's about 15 meters high and your handle is about a meter and a half. And that's in the that's at the top of the restaurant, and all these knives are sitting exactly where they ought to be. And this is something I've designed for Chile as well, for Satinda Gacha. Um, and Satinda owns the Duxton in Singapore. I've done his house for him in Singapore, and we're now working in Chile, in Santiago, next to the cathedral. Absolutely monumentally beautiful. Fantastic. And again, that, that's... Japanese and knives, but nobody knows about it. So I'm telling you first. Thank, thank you very much for sharing that with us. Uh, delighted. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit then about why, why this, the, these Asian and Oriental uh, uh, motifs uh, appear very strongly in your, uh, in your work. Well, I think they're terribly important because it's the crossover for all of us. Wherever you've travelled to, whatever whatever experiences you've had, some stay longer than others. And the Orientalism for me has stayed longer than any of the stuff that we've done in the West because these cultures, Chinese, Japanese, we're talking about 4,000 years. We're talking a very, very, very long time of very important things that haven't changed, you know. And we, uh, over in the West, we've been developing America. We've been doing this, doing that, going off to Australia, trying this out, trying that out. All of our cultures become mixed and mixed, which I think is marvellous, don't get me wrong. But for me, the the actual clarity of the Far East for me always pulls me back to a sensitivity and a sensibility that's very important. One thing you said, you said back in the, in the 2000 interview, uh, you said of Paris, you said, it's addictive, I'm as happy as anything when I'm there, but it never quite happens with me and Paris. Uh, well, it has now because you've just opened the Monsieur Georges in Paris. How does that look? Tell us a bit about that project. 
Uh, Monsieur Georges is very beautiful. Okay, even if I say so myself. It's dark green, it's murky, it's beautiful. I have transcended, I've tried to put two cultures together um, from the Marrakesh world, of which the French, as you know, loved and adored, and the food, the, every, the atmosphere, the warmth, the the closeness to France is in something that's been very, very important. So what I've taken is taken an oasis, again, a word I often use, um, an oasis of calm and dark green and very beautiful patterns of um, zigzags and all the old tiles from um, mm-hmm. Fez, Marrakesh, and where Rabat, where I've been working just recently for Baccarat, oh, Baccarat yeah. which also I don't think you know about. And anyway, so I've taken all those dark green dreams of of coolness, calm, and into the future with a lot of a lot of softness and a lot of harshness all mixed up together. So a velvet curtain will land with a big thump on a glorious polished, you know, dark green tile with a zigzag in it, a chevron, and it's a combination of yeah, Marrakesh and Paris, I think, is the best way to put it. It's fun. It's lovely. People seem to like it. We've had good press so far. And within two days of opening it, I had to leave in a hurry and catch the train and go home. Well, that leads me on to my why. next question for you, actually. Was that the last time you... You know why. <laughs> you know, of course, we all know why. Um, you know uh, why. Uh, yeah. do you, do, was that, that was the last trip you took, effectively, overseas or, or, or outside the country? Yes, that was it. Yeah. I piled everybody back into Eurostar and just... We left very, very quickly. And then we, we went to the country for the rest of the duration. And I'm back in the office now with my detail on my duster. And um, life looks strange. It's a bit empty here, um, but it's fine. You know, we're off. Good. Anyway, Paris is great. I'm looking forward to you staying, Guy. And and um, I'm looking forward to it very much as well. And uh, I'm, we're glad that you're you're safe and healthy. Let us look now, perhaps, to the the future of travel over the next two decades. Looking beyond sort of the COVID crisis, how do you think travel is going to look in 2040? Well, I'm going to repeat myself, and I'm going to go on a drone again. I'm going to take off, and I'm going to hover wherever I want to with whatever group of people we have to. And I just think we'll have a different way of of um, dealing with travel where we won't be so close together and the airlines will have to work out how and what and what sort of status we're going to be in and what we're allowed to be doing. And also it's going to depend terribly whether we're going to get the vaccine or not. Okay. And, but but it, do, you, do you really think that this idea, of your idea of drones and, and living on sort of separate levels, uh, if you like, is really going to be viable in 20 years time? Or is that not a bit far-fetched? Well, then, but I've always been far-fetched, you know, what do you expect? But but you've realised things, you've realised Blake's, you realised the Hempel. I mean, the Hempel was was a a dramatic property when it opened. Yes, it was, but it had to happen because I'd thought of it. So anything I can think of, somebody else will be thinking of it. I'm not a scientist, I'm not an engineer, but I can think of what, how and how it should be. Okay, there's only a building, I know that. But if you think about our future too, and you think about traveling in an aeroplane, you've already got three or four levels with the great big bombers that fly around the world. Why can we not have the same sort of thing? And we can actually, if you want to, you can go in your drone, you can go into the desert, you can stay in the plane, stay in the drone and get out on a carpet in a tent and go into the desert and come back into it and then take off again. Why can't we do that? Absolutely. Why can't we? And I think um, you'll, 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 you'll see sure a bit of this with, with, with autonomous anywhere. with autonomous vehicles and what have you, for sure. People what? will be able to drive around and that will be their hotel room as well as where they are, uh, where, they tra- where they're traveling. That's what you do and that's what happens and you leave your handbag and your 
blah, blahs, and everything stays in that one place of travel. And you just take off, take up, and take over, and you land where you want. Obviously, it's got to be planned. Um, or take over, like going to the Sahara, places you can go to that you could never go to before, where you have an instant, you have your own stability of your own life within the in the context of the thing you're traveling in. Maybe you want, don't want to call it a drone. You could call it something else. It could be a balloon. I don't know. Um, and you just keep hopping from place to place. And the outskirts of the city will become more and more important than being in cities because of what's happened to us. And I think we'll have a lot more freedom. Unfortunately, we'll mess up the earth a little bit more because we'll be able to get at it a little bit more. But I yeah. can see that's the way we're going to travel. You stay in your own spot and you jump out wherever you go and go and see whatever it is and then get back in it, press your button up, you go and over you go. Oh dear, we're getting to start. With me? We, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds like Star okay. Trek. Uh, we could just be well, beaming me up, Scotty, couldn't we? You know, I did do <laughs> um, But where, where does that leave the the the, the hotels then? Um, I mean, we're, we're a hotel well, magazine. Hotel, your hotel will be up in the air. What does it matter? Ha <laughs> ha. Sorry, but your hotels will be what you're travelling in. It becomes a travelling hotel within the situation. Look, you don't have to stay in it. You can get out and go in somewhere else, and you can join the, the drone or the the thing again later. You know what I'm saying? When I'm saying this, you don't have. It's just a freer way of travelling. It's not going to get rid of hotels particularly, but I think hotels will be seen in a very different light. 20 to 30 years' time, it will be very old-fashioned to get a, to go to Paris and stay at the Ritz. But the Ritz will always be there. But the Ritz, second-hand Ritz is the ones who haven't got the top of the, the, top of the, the trade, so to speak, will reinvent themselves in another kind of way to be a bit more special, and that will take you back to the drone. And off you go. Can you imagine it? Go to Marrakesh. Go to Fizz. Straight up, straight over. Go back to Paris, outside the outskirts of Paris. Go shopping, go traveling, do what you like, but you're still living within your own traveling environment. Uh, a fascinating viewpoint, I have to say, uh, and something that we've... It could uh, be better explained by somebody technical than me, but that's my dream and that I can see it. Fantastic. And we need dreamers. Absolutely. So to, to bring you back down to earth a little bit, um, we'd like to ask you now um, some ideas about how actually hotel design might be changing in the near future. Well, the near future, the next two decades. Um, how, do you, how do you think the, the actual physical elements of the hotel uh, might look, um, irrespective, it's excluding this idea of the drones and, and getting back to the huge number of hotels that are ex in existence and how they're going to be need to, needing to refurb or, or reconfigure themselves uh, to still be able to attract guests and make, make, make money? Um, and also, obviously, the new build, how that might look as well. Um, and perhaps the easiest way to do this is to look, go through, have a little sort of walkthrough of the hotel um, and start at the very beginning. Let's start at the lobby. See, how do you see that going to be changed and look uh, over the next uh, 20 years? I think it'll be the same thing. I think every person doing a hotel will have a different idea unless you belong to a big group and you have to have a Four Seasons stamp on your head. I think everybody will be thinking of all sorts of things. I think an awful lot of um, hotel lobbies as well will be encouraging as um, in the last couple of years, like Soho House, where you can work 
you're working at the same time as being in a hotel. Your environment is very much a workspace, you know, like WeWorks. I think it'll go that way much, much more. And very, very simple and very elegant. And then the next group of hotels will be very, very fluffy. They'll have the big old sofas and you'll fall into it. Then the other one will be quite austere. So if you think about Blake's, if you think about the Hempel, there are two major ways to go. One's for the slightly older, more romantic thing, and one is for the stronger, younger, um, stranger group who are working most of the time, day and night. Probably I'll include myself in that, no matter what age I am, because I work day and night. And that's the way I think the two things will go. And I don't think that it's going to change enormously, except your workspace, your living space, and your eating space, and everything will all become one. Uh, do you think that's really, really a, a, a viable uh, uh, situation that, that this, this co-working spaces are going to be uh, um, popular? Uh, if I look, at, you know, I, I know we talked not uh, to, to think about sort of the post-COVID uh, idea, but uh, are people really going to want to share share tables to eat at, share tables to work at, or are they going to want more of a, as you described, pod-like experience uh, where they feel more secure, more hygienic? <laughs> All you have to do is take a screen with you. Take a little Japanese canvas screen. Could be a meter and a half high. Could be a handbag. Okay, a vertical handbag, and wrap it around yourself. You can go anywhere at all. All that's all you have to do. People love to see other people's faces. You can have a glass one, a plastic one, or you can have a whatever canvas. And you can peer around it. Also, you know, it's very, very important that you have privacy and availability. And the person who did that was Coco Chanel. Coco Chanel used to go to her workroom and she'd take a screen and she'd put it in the corner of the workroom. People didn't know, people in the in the workshop didn't know she was there. And she could hear everything. She hid behind it. She didn't feel well or she felt funny or she didn't want them to know she was there. And there's a way of living with a screen. You go through the Japanese and through the Chinese history of how they screened everything. There was an illusion, there was confusion, and then there was stability. And it all can be screened. Not screens in the way that we know, but I'm talking about a physical, fantastic thing, like a handbag. And if you open the handbag, if you opened it three times, you can have three little screens that you can put around yourself. You can put it on your table. You can hide behind it with your computer so nobody can see what you're up to with your drawings. And you can wave at a friend over the top, okay, because you can stand up and wiggle and say, hello, I'm over here. Think about it. You're traveling in your own little box in your own little screened area. Fantastic. I think that's just such a great idea. Someone's going to pick that up and be there'll be a handbag that comes out to be a screen, you know, screen that's sort of 50 centimetres, one metre, one metre 50, probably can be translucent yes. or yes. opaque. Yes. And yes. Uh, you can do all no, of that. you've got it. That's all you have to do. <laughs> Not that um, difficult. But, but this, this is exactly what I think uh, you know, people are looking at, aren't they? Um, talking to uh, David Rockwell yeah. a few weeks ago, um, David was suggesting that one of the worst things to do would be to walk into a hotel, into a restaurant, uh, and there's only 10 people in the restaurant that, that's got a, you know, 200 covers. So how can you make create that sense of intimacy? Screen Put screens up. So should should the hotels screens up on the table or around yourself or anything? Come on, anybody innovative can get around that one. Promise you. Yep. Cut the table up in half. And do you think that there's going to be much more? You, you like this idea of drones? Do you think there's going to be much more technology involved in, at the lobby yeah. area, the entrance to the hotel? Of course there is, because that's the way the world's going. That's what all the kids are studying. You know, people aren't doing history of art anymore. People are really into this whole computerized lifestyle. The kids are used to it. They've grown up with it. It's going to develop and develop and develop until we finally kill ourselves off. 
And do so, <laughs> not very cheery. Um, do you think no, though that there's, there's a chance there for for greater hospitality to actually be offered because of the automation of, of all these, uh, these these sort of necessary or or, or um, tedious parts of the 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 uh, welcome procedure at a hotel? Oh, the welcome procedure. You very will pay for the hotel at the airport. You don't have to have a welcome procedure. You have to have a little map about where you should go. And if you don't want to see anybody, you don't want to stand there and check in, you've got your own way around it because it will all happen electronically and automatically. And it doesn't take away the personality of the person. It just enhances and fastens the service that the hoteliers will be giving. Okay. Let, let's look at um, uh, the F&B side of things and uh, dining rooms. Um, how, do you, how do you think fine dining or, or, or communal dining might look uh, in the next 20 years? How's that going to change? Behind a screen, perhaps? Behind a screen, around a screen, sit in a screen, take three people in a screen and put your screen around you. This just, it's, it's just a simple, elegant way of... Um, if, also, you know, think about a handbag on the floor and think about all your shoes and messy stuff on the floor. People won't put things on the floor anymore. There'll be a side seat where you put your things, okay, and a screen around that. It'll be, it'll be elegant podism. There you are. Elegant podism. Love it. Okay. That's it. Those and are sort of sound bites there. that... Everyone that's, loves. that's an important thing because you are taking your world with you. You are surrounding yourself by what you think you should be surrounded by. And if you don't like where you're going, you don't have to look at where you are. <laughs> the designers will be pleased with that one. I don't care. Okay. T- <laughs> yes. Um, what do you think? What about, what about communal dining um, or, or, the, or the fine dining, the chef's table, that sort of thing in the kitchen, watching the chef sort of licking the spoons and what already, have you? He's already been in the kitchen licking spoons for years behind a glass wall. So that's nothing new and it's nothing going to, that's not going to really change. There just be a few less chefs and a few more pods um, feeding those particular um, big areas as we're talking about, it'll be separated, but it won't be. It's a very hard thing to describe. I'm not using my words very well today, but I can see it. And I can draw it up and I'll send it to you. You're doing great. What, and what about, um, there's been a, some talk, chatter about um, if you haven't got an outside space uh, as, a, as a, a, a food and beverage operator, uh, you've got no chance. Do you think that's, uh, you've got to have an outside space? Uh, you could have an outside space within an inside space if you're clever. You can build your stuff around a sort of a open atrium space and you can have your floors that slide in and out for eating. Um, I don't think that that's absolutely essential. But again, if you take a balcony and if you like a boat at the back of the boat when you want to swim, you press a button and the deck comes out. That's all you have to do. The deck comes out of a balcony and then you have a wire around it so you can't fall off, obviously, or whatever's going to be safe. You can make your outside spaces with clever technology that can be used for the outside purpose when you need it, not just because it's there. Okay, I'm not sure that retrofitting all this stuff is going to be possible or practical, but there you go. Um, guest rooms, the most uh, sort of sensual part of a hotel. Yours, Blake's in particular, were noted and are noted for their, their um, uh, extensive use of soft furnishings, as, as we uh, mentioned in the article back in 2000. Um, how do you see the guest rooms looking? Bigger, smaller, uh, less clutter, more things going on? How's they, how, what's that going to be for you? It depends on who's doing the hotel guy. It depends on the group who are building it, and it depends on what the customer um, is working towards and what kind of experience. I think they'll both be 
going neck and neck as always. And I think it just depends on your attitude and your ability to survive in one or the other. And normally we found when we opened the Hempel, people still love Blake's and people still love the Hempel. They went to both all the time. It didn't change. It was done under the one hand and people seem to know that or feel it. And I think that this will happen again. People will still love the old-fashioned velvety, old rickety four-poster bed and the old nonsense and a sadari blind and a bit of magic. And they'll also love the simplicity and the elegance of this new bunk arrangement that I've dreamt up, okay, and platforms. They'll like both because everybody wants to experience everything. So on the one hand, it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you, you say that there's, you, you feel there's going to be this sort of this minimalism and maximalism, these two sort of separate approaches st- continuing and there won't be much change. And on the other hand, we're looking at this drone oh, type living, I, drone I think, hospitality. I think, I think they'll be completely um, exaggerated in their, in their specific areas. Um, there'll be more of one and more of the other. Do you know what I'm saying? Because the engineering will become so important with the contemporary side of life that there'll be things that you can do and new kinds of, you know, carbon, this, that, and the other that can be light, usable, and you can live in it. Do you know what I'm saying? But um, that'll come with another contemporary version of mine. So two two extremes. So we're going to see even more maximalism, if you like, and even more minimalism. Spa and wellness. Any any thoughts on on what might be happening there? Uh, yes, I've got to, I've got to take um, three or four rooms in a high rise building and do a plunge pool all the way down, so four or five floors and just one deep diving board and one thing to be able to go right to the bottom and come back up with your oxygenated, whatever it is, to the top. No more lap pools, just go down to the depth of the water. Like it. These are some some great and and crazy ideas. What about um, new materials? You mentioned uh, carbon fibre, there's probably graphene and all those other things that can go into making things very light and and smooth. Do you think there's going to be a a trend towards... um, using more modern materials or are we going to be again stuck in this uh, traditional way of using older older materials and older handcrafts and artisanal uh, uh, products but why we're not going to be stuck we're going to do both okay you have to do both how do you um, certain communities are not going to survive unless they've got the handcraft still going and that will still be part of our other world and I feel that the modern one will just excel in engineering to such an extent it's going to be so exciting but you still want to have the other side of it as well in my opinion um, but who knows 20 years time where will I be 30 I'll give myself another 30 years Let, well, let's hope so one, one of the things in the article you mentioned that you, 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 you always had this idea that you would end up doing seven hotels yeah well, what um, have I done I can't remember Eight, slightly nine, more than that yeah. I think yeah exactly and and the other one I'd like to ask you about, and I think our, our listeners would be interested in, is uh, Warupuru, the uh, the one in the rainforest. Um, what what's what has happened there? And, it's, and been are we like to do that? it's been gobbled up by the jungle. The, all of those beautiful screens. That place we had a backer who was absolutely marvellous, but his exchange, um, we went. He well, he went tummy up whatever you want to say, and it's sitting there. It's a World Heritage Site, so people can't go and look at it anymore. Um, But when it was for sale, everybody went to look at it. And Russell and I, I've worked with Russell all my life, had done the most beautiful versions of what I was talking about on a contemporary level before. We were way ahead of the game, and it's still sitting there, but you can't, it's just been eaten up by the jungle. Very sad. One day... One day in the future, somebody will come in a drone and clear it away and we'll be off again, <laughs> okay? 
<laughs> Sounds good. We look forward to that. Um, uh, Anuska, are there other things that you would like to discuss uh, around about this, uh, this idea of looking at travel and, and hospitality design in the next 20 years? Not really. Because it's just going to happen. It'll just happen. There's nothing to say about it. It will just evolve, and it'll evolve in the way I'm thinking it will. But I think I'm probably a little bit far, a little bit f- too far ahead of myself for this one. For 20 years, it'll probably be 30 or 40. I don't know. I but I'm on f- and up for anything at all. But it's got to be one or the other, uh, not not fa- anything fantastic. in between. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> let's um, uh, perhaps finish by asking um, if. Uh, you were able to travel wherever you wanted to right now, where would it be uh, and, and with whom would you be and what would you be doing? Is it a work trip? Is it a family trip? What would you be doing if, if you were able to travel? Oh, I think I've just been a tent somewhere in Marrakesh up the, up the hill in the Sahara with a couple of great horses and a couple of camels and a, and a, a sandwich and a bottle of water. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much for... Um, uh, joining us this morning. Um, I'd just like to sort of pick up on a few things there. Some of your visionary ideas are, are, are pretty outlandish, the, 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 the drones and living on different levels. We're, we're delighted to hear about uh, um, your, your, new, your new Blakes in Shoreditch. Uh, the elegant podism you described as well was a, was a little a key moment that uh, was good for me. And I think this idea that perhaps things, uh, whilst they may, be, they may change radically, there's also going to be a space for what we've traditionally seen as, as sort of the minimalist and, and maximalist ideas running side by side. Um, Anuska Hempel, thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure. Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design. This episode features Sleeper magazine's editor-at-large Guy Dietrich in conversation with Anuska Hempel, founder of Anuska Hempel Design.